0: Hola, my beautiful humans. This is Jasmine Castillo, and I bring stories and cases from the people of color community, bringing awareness of murdered and missing indigenous women, girls, two spirits, the LGBTQ community, Asian American, Pacific Islander, black indigenous people of color. These are their stories. So welcome to Hands Off, my podcast. A surveillance camera caught a scene of children playing in the streets around a home. Some of the children were sitting up against one of the homes and other children were gathering into a car. With the car door open, they heard a commotion to the left of them. Seconds later, you see Paul running out of one of the yards away from the police officers. A girl was pulling a dumpster container coming from the bottom of the camera's view. Even though her back is facing the camera. You can see her trying to evaluate the situation. All the commotion began to escalate. Her head moves from side to side. Then she darts towards the right side of the camera, fleeing. Children begin to scatter in different directions, fleeing from the area. You can see two police officers with their guns drawn. He runs into one of the side streets, but unfortunately, this street was a dead end. So he turned back toward the police still holding a knife against his neck. The last words you can hear him say is, What is wrong with you guys? Within milliseconds, the officer shot Paul four times. As he crumbles beneath his feet to the ground, the police handcuffing him as his life slips away. This is a story about police brutality against Paul Castaway. So as you know, the month of July is Black Indigenous People of Color Mental Health Awareness Month. And I will talk specifically on Native and Indigenous mental health. About 830,000 Native and Indigenous people live with mental health issues. And arguably, Native and Indigenous people experience the most severe barriers to mental health because of lack of access to resources. This, of course, is direct result of the U.S. government's past and current treatments that has caused many indigenous people long-term mental health distress, including PTSD and other complex problems. Indigenous experience serious psychological stress 2.5 times more often than the general US population. That's double the amount of indigenous people between 15 to 19 in the US die by suicide each year compared to the white population. They also face the toughest barriers to care because of the lack of interpreter services, providers deficiency in culture, competence, and distrust in the government programs due to historical racism and genocide. However, at the same time, indigenous communities face The highest substance abuse and suicide incidence. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for American Indian Alaska Natives between the ages of 10 to 34 years old, based on a 2019 survey. And what makes it even harder for them to find the proper services and care? Psychologists' race group is 5% Asian. Five percent are Hispanic, four percent are Black American, and one percent are multiracial. Paul Ernest Castaway and his family live in Denver, Colorado, and they identify themselves as Rosebud Sioux Tribe. Here's a little history and culture on the Rosebud Sioux Tribe. The Rosebud Sioux Tribe consists of seven tribes, and they were known as warriors and buffalo hunters. In one of these groups of the seven was called Chichango Lakota. This band was found in Upper Mississippi Region in the late 16th and early 17th centuries. There is about 20,000 Lakotas in the mid 18th century, a number in which that has increased to 70,000 as of today, and approximately a third will speak the ancestral language. Lakota is located in the current area of Minnesota when Europeans began to explore this settled land in the 1600s, and the Lakota in the 1700s began to flourish and acquire horses and hunting buffalo in these high plains of Wisconsin, Iowa, the Dakotas, and as far as North as Canada. And the Tetons were the largest of Lakota tribes dominating in this region. As the white settlers continued to push themselves onto the Sioux lands with multiple treaties, and of course those multiple treaties were broken, the Sioux retaliated. And this, if you know your history very well, this resulted in three major wars and numerous other battles. One of the major clashes was 1854 in Fort Laramie, Wyoming, and in their retaliation in 1855, U.S. troops killed over a 100 Sioux at their encampment in Nebraska and imprisoned their chief. Later, the Red Clouds War was fought, and it ended in a treaty granting the Black Hills to be secured back to the Sioux. Unfortunately, like all treaties, this was not honored by the United States, and around this time, Gold prospectors and miners began to flood the region in the 1870s. This created a conflict, and General Custer and his 300 troops were killed at the Little Big Horn on June 25, 1876, by the Sioux Chief Sitting Bull and his warriors, the Rosebud Indian Reservation has a large areas of ponderosa pine forest with deep valleys and steep hills and ravines. The tribal headquarters are located in the community of Rosebud. So the Rosebud Sioux tribe is more popularly known as Chichango lokota oyat or Burnt Thigh People. Throughout the history, there have been great chiefs that continue to fight for a peace treaty. Hoping them to allow hunting of buffalo. Many great chiefs negotiated with U.S. governments throughout the 1800s. Chief Spotted Tail was a brul Lakota. All he wanted was peace by signing a peace treaties in 1866 just to be given permission to hunt their own buffalo along the Republican River. And what frustrates me is that Chief Spotted Tail was tricked into many treaties, which in the end would give away Lakota lands along the Republican and Platte Rivers, and forcing the tribe to move 30 miles to the west. Spotted Tail and Red Cloud even visit Washington, D.C. to provide peace negotiations. However, After the Battle of Little Horn in 1876, he was forced to sign a treaty that gave away the Black Hills to the U.S. government. Gabriel Black Elk loved talking about his brother, Paul. Paul had a good heart, was always laughing, always joking. He was the kind of person he would give his jacket off his back or his shirt off his back for homeless people. He used to have discussions with his mother, Lynn Eaglefeather. Paul would always bring homeless people to the house. He would bring them in, let them shower, and make them something to eat. And then he'll go right back out there, onto the street helping other people. He loved hanging out with others. He was happy being part of the streets. His mother, Lynn, said he wasn't in a gang. He was extremely smart and he had a background in criminal justice. He loved playing football. He knew how to play chess, and he was a foster parent at the age of 22. Her eyes well up with tears as she talks about Paul, especially the part where Paul left behind Emmanuel. Emmanuel was four years old when his daddy was taken away from him. Emmanuel's mother says that there is times that Emmanuel says that he wants to be with his daddy in the skies. Emmanuel told his mother that he wanted to be killed like his daddy so he can be in the skies and the clouds with his dad together. Gabriel Black Elk and Paul Castaway were born into an AIM revolutionaries. Their mother and father were part of the American Indian Movement, which was founded in 1968 but launched in 1969 in Minneapolis, Minnesota, a national civil rights group. And the reason why it began is because Indians received a lot of abuse from law enforcement officers, and crimes against Native Americans were often unreported. Disciplinary actions were rare, and many... Indigenous and non-Indigenous felt compelled for changes. Like the 1973 standoff at Wounded Knee, the American Indian movement galvanized a generation of Native youth. This movement was founded to turn the attention of Indian people toward a renewal of spirituality, which would impart the strength of resolve needing to reverse destructive policies of the United States, Canada, and other colonialist governments of Central and South America. So at this time, had moved from Lincoln, Nebraska. Father was director of the Indian Center in Omaha, Nebraska. And later on, they moved to Denver, Colorado. Gabriel remembers being taken to the protests. What he remembers is the day that they were transforming Columbus Day, bringing awareness on what Columbus Day really meant to the indigenous people. Later on, Gabriel started the organization Native Lives Matter, So as years went by, Gabriel began to see something that he needed to bring to the forefront. So in 2016, he began to travel from Denver to Los Angeles, Seattle, Standing Rock, UN, New York, taking his brother's name across the country to bring awareness to Native lives. In July of 2015, Paul Castaway was in the midst of a severe mental crisis when his mother called police for help. And according to Paul's mother, he suffered from schizophrenia and struggled with alcoholism. She thought that calling the police would help, but she did not know that they were going to kill her son. as much as 15 children and 3 adults watch as the scene unravel one of the children that had spoke to denver post had explained what happened paul was running when he came to a dead end and then turned to face the police who were in pursuit this 15-year-old said quote, "he held a knife to his neck he came close to them and that's when they shot him" end quote. The boy also could hear Paul ask the officers, quote, What's wrong with you guys? End quote. Before he was shot and after the police officers shot Paul, that child fainted. This was a traumatic experience for all to see. Lynn Eagle Feather called the police for help because Paul was waving a large knife and he was under the influence of alcohol. Lynn mentioned that she's dealt with these times with Paul in the past, but this time around it was completely different and she was extremely concerned. And because few communities have a mental health crisis response unit, a lot of families resort to calling police in hopes that the officers will distress the matter and help them get to treatment. And unfortunately, this is a common theme. Officers respond, a man terrified, running, officers corner him. Witness and family claim that he was holding the knife to his neck, while police claim that he was posing a threat to officers. You can see in the surveillance camera that even though two officers pulled their guns, one decided to holster his gun, while the other officer shoots Paul four times later dying at the hospital. The surveillance camera shows the police officer force him onto his stomach and cough him despite his severe injuries. Sadly, police officers responded poorly. This identifies that there needs to be better protocols and training in addition to a long-term development of mental health crisis units. As I mentioned in episode 12 and 11, There has been cuts to mental health support services in the United States. And this has left police forces on the front line of providing support to the mentally ill community. And sometimes this comes with a high price. This puts Native Americans with mental illnesses at a greater risk when police interventions go wrong. And even without the mental illness as a compounding factor, Native Americans frequently die at the hands of U.S. police. They account for 0.8% of the population, yet 1.9% of police shootings involve Native Americans. From the Washington Post, a police shooting database, I had found other names that need to be recognized that were killed by law enforcement. Let's not forget them because of not having a voice of their own. Anderson Antelope was holding a knife. Cop got frustrated with him. Finally had enough, pulled his gun and decided to end him. Zachary Bear Heels, Tased and beaten to death by police, but no one could find any wrongdoing. Stone Child Stoney Chiefstick Police came at him with, from multiple directions. He had a long object in his hand, which was later identified as a screwdriver. He was shot in the chest twice by the officers. Thomas Goodeyes Gay was shot and killed by police inside his father's home despite being unarmed. Henry Lane was shot and killed and allegedly threatened to hit other officers with the stick. DeLorean Pekjavit had a knife in one hand and a half pair of scissors in the other. He stepped off his porch and bullets interrupted the negotiator's attempt to calm him. Jason Pero called and gave 911 operators a physical description of himself. He was an 8th grader allegedly threatened officers with a butcher knife before he was fatally shot in front of his house. Elvin R. Silversmith had two knives when he was shot by officers. L'Oreal Juana Barnell Singen had a pair of scissors. Police officer fired at least five shots, killing L'Oreal. Herman Bean had a knife in an apartment, shot and killed by officers. Philip Quinn the time of his death, Quinn was armed with a screwdriver and he failed to obey police commands. In a YouTube video, Lynn remembers the day that she called the police. She breaks down and cries, saying that it is her fault. All she wanted is for them to help Paul, not to kill him. And even after the death of her son, they took her into interrogation. They even told her that they were working on his case, but lied to her and was locked in the interrogation room as if she was a criminal and she was the one that contacted the police. During this time, she went from lawyer to lawyer, trying to find justice for her son. As she talks, she mentions that she has many distant relatives and extended family that were killed by police. Even the murder of her own sister was never investigated. And there was times when Paul was arrested, you would see bruises and cuts on his mugshots because he was always beaten up. And that was one of the reasons why he ran. He didn't want to get beat up and end up back in jail. She ends her conversation saying how much she misses him so much every day. And she thinks that it's just going to go away, but it doesn't. And it's been many years... They didn't even have body cameras. Thankfully, there was a surveillance camera on a corner next to a laundromat that she was able to view before the police. Lynn recounted her conversation with the police. She identified that her son was mentally ill and that she tells him every time she calls, she just wants help. Later on, when Eagle Feather was interviewed, she was extremely distraught. Stating, quote, There was no need to shoot my son four times at close range like that. I want justice for my son. I want those cops to be reprimanded. These Denver cops love to kill natives. They love to kill people of color here. End quote. In 2016, July, Lynn Eaglefeather filed a wrongful death lawsuit in the case, arguing that Castaway was effectively murdered. A U.S. District Court judge has denied a motion to dismiss the excessive force aspect of the allegations against a police officer that shot Paul, keeping the case alive and on track for what could be a quote-unquote blockbuster trial. There has been constant pushback, but even if you view the video, You can plainly see that the police officer that killed paul he had violated his civil rights even though the dpd did their internal investigation determining that the murder was justified and they have fought hard to get the case away from a jury because avi this is murder even though i'm not identifying the police officer's name there is excessive documents online latest orders From the city and county of Denver, one of the things that I came across in regards to this particular police officer that's in question for the killing of Paul Castaway, that in one of the articles that I read, they also show a photograph of the tattoos that resemble an anti-government militia group logo, which is called the Three Percenters, on the back of this police officer's hand. I will have that link in the show notes. There's a lot of stuff going on that I just, just can't bear to think what else is under all of this muck. But if you'd like to learn more about what the three percenters are, um, I will have that a link in the show notes as well. So how can you take care of yourself? Build your support network. Find your sense of belonging, having a tribal spiritual bond, discussing problems with your friends and family. This can create a positive emotional health. One of the things that I thought was very interesting is to make a safety plan, a step-by-step plan for if or when you feel depressed, suicidal, or in crisis. If you can, talk to someone. Reach out to a support network, find a therapist or a support group, or get in touch with the Lifeline. Get yourself involved in activities that you enjoy. Self care activities can make you feel good about yourself. I am so glad that the United States and Canada have recognized that there is a huge problem on how people who are struggling with a mental health illness or crisis. As official Of July 16, 2022. The Mental Health Crisis Number, or the Lifeline, is now officially a three digit number 988. I will have the links in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Hands Off My Podcast. If you are enjoying the podcast and you'd like to support the mission, I do have a Patreon membership that will help the cause and bring more detail on cases and stories from the People of Color community. If you yourself has a lost loved one, or a story suggestion, please don't hesitate to contact me at email, handsoffmypodcast at gmail.com. And if you are only able to support in another way, please give this podcast a 5-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And continue to listen to upcoming episodes every Thursday, wherever you listen to your podcast. Dios te